Voices of the Temple, official podcast of the Temple of Witchcraft, exploring mystery and magic through love, will, and wisdom, hosted by Adam Sartwell. Hi, listeners. I'm here with Elsa, our lead minister of Scorpio, and we're going to talk about Scorpio today. Yes. So, how's Scorpio doing? It's doing very well. We uh, have some new members to our ministry now, and uh, it feels like things are moving in a certain way. Um, when I came on, we uh, our focus really was, what, what was coming through to do was bereavement. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of work with bereavement, and... Um, assisting people with that, coming up with rituals for that, coming up with methodologies of how to talk to people, and also guidelines for ministers, because sometimes we got into longer, um, too many sessions, yeah. you know, and it needed to be a different thing, yeah. but... Um, need to have I, closure. Need to have closure, need, need to know when someone needs to go to someone else, you know, yeah. it's a different uh, thing, but... Um, uh, now we're uh, we're moving forward, and, and our sacred sexuality is moving forward in ways. And uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited for the the new set of ministers coming in who want to do this work. So. Yeah. So um, I know you've posted a lot of articles on how people can do burials at home and sort of get away from the complex of things that we think we have to do. Right. Um, around death. So can you sort of talk about that for our listeners? Sure. And I, I want to just question one word. It isn't really burials at home. Hmm. It's uh, home funerals. Okay. And, and natural burials. And natural there's, burials. There's some... Um, I think there, sometimes you can bury someone on your land, but, mm-hmm. they, yeah. you know, it's, when you're doing a full-body burial, you have to check your check the bylaws and yeah. <laughs> see what's yeah. okay. Um, what I what I like to do, what I hope to uh, accomplish with this is um, have people realize what their rights are in terms of what they can and cannot do with their bodies, or have someone they won't mm-hmm. be there, but someone else do with their bodies. And, yeah. And some of that is getting people comfortable talking about death because that's a big piece. Yes. Um, but um, there's something called um, the Funeral Consumers Alliance, and they're a national organization mm-hmm. that um, has state chapters in many states. Yeah. And um, they, ha- they have a website, funerals.org, if you want to check, mm-hmm. which can help you navigate what choices you have. And um, instead of assuming, well, I have to go to the funeral home, and they have to, they have to embalm him or her, mm-hmm. and, and I have to get this casket that costs the world and yeah. you know and you know funerals can and the dying process can end up being way more expensive than people can handle and uh, often you see um, very poor people saying well I have to give them what they deserve I have to give them what they didn't have in life yeah and then the living end up being really strapped for cash it's it's um yeah so it's just you know um, looking at it in a more matter of fact way in ways you can honor and and certainly give show that you love them without necessarily having to go down that road. And mm-hmm. um, uh, in the '60s, a woman named Jessica Mitford wrote a book about this, and because uh, funeral homes were not giving price lists and were telling people they had to do X and Y. Yeah. And it's just getting a price list and knowing you can do certain things and you can do it within affordability. Yeah. And now there's a, another movement uh, called the positive death positive movement or positive death movement. I've forgotten which order it is. 
but they they are trying to get people to think about reclaiming death. There are people who do um, home funerals. Yeah. So, like we used to do, you know, like yeah. society used mm-hmm. to be. The parlor was where you put out your dead, and the living room was where you didn't put out your dead. <laughs> you yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> that was the uh, the the wording for the different rooms. So, um, so there's being able to do that. Some people there's more closure for some people if they get to be in the process of washing the body. Yeah. Or you know all that, and there's also I want to also say though I advocate really choosing it's also yes you can also choose that you want the funeral director to come and you want to do it that way because that's what you can handle yeah you know it's it's really about what are your rights and what are your choices yeah um i i share one story that um my aunt um was from lebanon my my uncle's second wife and when Mm -hmm. my uncle died um he died at home um in hospice and uh when he died, she, she called me, right, you know, not right away, because she, you know, being from another country, she cleaned the body. She didn't call hospice right away. Yeah. There's a wonderful, uh, um, Doherty is her name, uh, she says, you know, the one time that this isn't an emergency is when someone is actually dead. This is not an emergency, <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. you don't have to call right away. You can yeah. take time even then. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can go with the funeral. But my what my aunt did was she cleaned the body and she you know said goodbye and then she called us, and had us come and I got to say goodbye and he was a, like a father to me and I'm mm-hmm. gonna make it through this without crying and <laughs> maybe not, um, but it's okay. Um, and I I got to kiss his forehead and just say goodbye and just how cold his forehead was was fairly remarkable to me because. I was like, yeah, you're not there, but I'm still honoring the vessel that carried you and saying yeah. goodbye to it. So that's a, that, that death in particular kind of shifted me and said, yeah, we, the way that it's assumed we're supposed to do it, Yeah. You know, which is actually pretty young. It's probably just like 90 or 100 years we've assumed we have to do it that way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I advocate for people really knowing what and what they can and can't do. and uh, What their options are. What their options are, yeah. 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 That's cool. Now, you recently hosted a death cafe where you created a safe space for people to talk about death, grieving, and dying. Uh, what was that like, and why do you think this work is important? It was, um, it was really interesting. I, uh, I've attended a few death cafes, so I had an idea of the process, but I was, I was super nervous because it was the first time. I think yeah. you're super nervous about anything you do That's for the true. first time. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it was wonderful, and, and the... You know, I was worried, oh, was the conversation going to flow? And at first it was a little worrisome because it's a hard... It's a hard subject. It, it's a scary time. Whenever I say to someone, well, I want to do a death cafe, everyone goes, oh, that's scary. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, we're all going to do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. as uh, David Kessler is a bereavement teacher, and uh, he worked with um, Kuba Ross before she died. And, uh, yeah. and he always says, well, you know, despite what we've done with medicine, the death rate is still 100%. So, yeah. so it's, it's a way to create the conversation so how it was was that once we got through the nervousness people were able to talk about what we had people at that there who have always talked about death and had, have always been confronting it because of yeah various health reasons in their family and they just were right there with it um and other people's like i can't talk to my father about it he keeps changing the subject and mm-hmm. just sharing how can we approach this and how much easier it would be if um, we could talk about it with our family members to know what they wanted 
You yeah. Know, because often a lot of guilt is being carried about, well, we didn't do what they wanted. Yeah. And that includes the last day of life when we throw everything at them and it ends up being the most expensive day medically in your life could be your last day. And maybe yeah. that's not what they actually wanted if they thought about it. But So it, it was good. It, it was wide-ranging and had a lot of different things come up. And I thought um, uh, people were very happy with it. Um, I got a lot of good feedback. So um, we're going to do it again April 23rd at Robin's Nest. Me and Danielle Dion are doing this work together. Awesome. And uh, I think it's an important conversation. I, I probably I may be repeating myself, but just to no, have ahead. it be something we can talk about with ease. Yeah. So that, you know, it it's not so scary and we actually are thoughtful about what we do. Yeah. You know, including what we do with our bodies afterwards. Because, uh, you yeah. know, we, the way cemeteries are now, it's like, we're not going to have enough land to bury everyone. No. That's not how, that, that doesn't, we don't make more land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really thinking about, well, what, what does this mean? And mm-hmm. how can we do this differently? Yeah. I know with my own family, uh, when my father passed, we didn't have a plan. Uh, and it seems strange to me that since I'm the youngest in my family, that I made all of the decisions. Mm. And, mm-hmm. like, where my father was going to be spread, mm-hmm. what we were going to do with the body, all of those things were... And Chloe mo- decided to yeah. cremation. Yeah, we yeah, yeah we were like... It wasn't another man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, my father had said he wanted to be cremated because okay. he so didn't like... Okay, so that much got done. Yeah. Yes. And so we did that. But the whole aspect of, you know, I'm the youngest, yeah. why am I making all of the decisions... And when I did make a decision that they didn't like, they would be like, oh, no, we, we, we want to have this. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but not having a plan was so scary to us that I, I was like, all right, well, you know. So everyone I knew, I was like, do you have a plan? Right. <laughs> you know, like, because let's not repeat what, this. Yeah, let's not repeat this. And uh, it's surprisingly, like, it echoed out in the next death I had to deal with that plan was in they had a plan in place because I'd said that you know so it's very interesting to me you know that you know you don't talk about it you know thing well I think it's uh death has been separated from our lives yeah um I I venture to say in the past hundred years it may be more of a gradual process but it's uh been medicalized it's in the hospital um Mm -hmm. we've also beautifully come up with a lot of ways to prevent a lot of the usual things that kill people because yeah. we have vaccines or we mm-hmm. have, you know, the antibiotics or, you know, yeah. we're not putting people into dangerous, uh, we have OSHA, you know, yeah. so we, mm-hmm. they're not working in such terrible conditions. And also we're not, uh, you know, this may be idyllic, but I think most people were connected to that the, the animals they ate were killed. You know, like they knew these things. Yeah. And there was little They knew less there was death. They knew there was death, you know, they knew where their food came from. I mean, I have a friend whose children one time, he went out to get some something out of the garden to put in the salad, and they, the kids were like, why are you putting plants in the salad? And he was like, oh, um, let's let's go plant a garden next year so you understand what yeah, we're where your food eating. is coming from. You know, because yeah. never mind the animals. Yeah, yeah, never mind <laughs> the animals. What are these plants doing in my salad? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, um... Since your ministry does work with the bereaved and the dying, mm-hmm. uh, what advice can you give to those who are looking for to hold space for that transition 
and are trying to be supportive of people who are going through the bereavement process. Yeah, that's another area where, um, you know, people are so afraid of dying because they're going to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. They're afraid they're going to be forgotten, and then once we go into bereavement for someone, they like, okay, you got to get over that because we have to move on. So it's like we're trying to get people to be forgotten. So yeah, um, and three days is not not really how long it takes, and yeah. I think most people know that. Yeah. Um, what I what I say to people is, you just allow people to be where they are. You know, and I'm, I'm a psychotherapist as well, a licensed mental health counselor, and you meet clients where they are. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't get anywhere because if you're over here, you're pulling them. Yeah. And um, just holding space and not assuming you know what they're feeling. Yeah. And just allowing them to tell you or not tell you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great website. I mentioned David Kessler. I mean, there are more people who do good bereavement work, but his oh, yeah. website's amazing. It's grief.com. Mm-hmm. And he has ideas. He has a, a list of things like, don't say this to people who are bereaved. Yeah. <laughs> things that people yeah. say, and like... Well, you know, once you've been through bereavement, you go, yeah, yeah. don't say that to me. Yeah. And I don't have anything in my head right now, which would be yeah. smart, but I, <laughs> of these things you shouldn't say. Um, and also, uh, just have some ideas of what you can offer, because when you go up to someone and say, is there anything I can do, just call me. It's like, yeah. people don't have any, that's asking them to be the burden, you know. Yeah, and whether you, that if puts there's the something, burden of choosing for yeah, you. Yeah, and figuring yeah. out. So often I say, you know, what, what did congregations do in old church communities was that someone went into the kitchen and they made a bunch of casseroles. Yeah. You know, and you say, well, tell me what kind of food you all need because, you know, for a few weeks you guys shouldn't have to cook dinner. Yeah. And just set up a committee to get some food to them, you know, things like that. Just basic needs are, I'm going to the store. Do you need anything at the store? I'll grab it for you, that yeah. kind of thing. Or do you want someone to come and just sit with you and be quiet and make you some tea, you know? Yeah. So those kind of things are really go a long way. And yeah. uh, I also let people know you know, that there is this five uh, stages of grief that are so, they're touted everywhere. And it's not necessarily that you do all five. They're not mm-hmm. stages. They're things that happen. Yeah. And um, not to worry that you're not, they're not showing anger, they're not showing X, or they're not showing what you expect them to show. Yes. Yeah. Every individual grieves differently. It connects to whatever, however they've dealt with losses and changes in their life anyway. Mm-hmm. And every death is different for everybody. I mean, how I grieve for my uncle was different from how I grieve for my father. I mean, I yeah. loved them both deeply, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was different. Because yeah, you know, I was a different person, and my relationship with them was different. Yeah. yeah, and I think that every death hits you in a different way. Yes, absolutely. Um, having gone through, you know, grandparents and my father, it's different and, you know, than animals or, you know, they're all, they all hit you in a different way. All important. Yes. All, you know, powerful. Yes. But they all hit you in a different way. And it's, it's just, uh, being okay, another piece for people trying to support, you don't have to have the answers. Yeah. And neither does the person who's grieving. Yeah. So, I think those are, Pretty key things. Yeah. You know? I think one of the best things that uh, someone told me while I was going through that process with my dad um, was to eat when you want to eat, sleep yes. when you want to sleep, and cry when you want to cry. Absolutely. And don't let anyone tell you that that's not the appropriate time. You just do it. And I was just giving that permission. Yes. To, you know, be open about that. 
It was really strong for me. That's I like that. Beautiful advice. Yeah. And that's and we when people approach us the ministry looking for aids for bereavement we um we have a, a temporary altar that actually our uh, Chris Duro, who is a prior minister, he brought from the Oja, the um, Oja I always say it wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's yeah. an Arishish priest, so he brought that uh, from the African traditions, and uh, it's basically an altar where you, you know, you have a source of light, you have a picture of the person, you have some water to give them energy, and mm-hmm. it's three to nine days, and yeah. the idea is that each day you have some time that you're just devoting to being with your feelings and being with whatever you need to say to the person, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of magical stuff that happens too, but I think having, knowing you have that time each day, yeah. You know, if you're not in a situation where you can cry whenever you want, you know, yeah. Yeah. that that really helps structure it for people. And uh, I know that many people have come back saying that was just earth change, just changed it for them. They were able to really. Yeah, I know. I know in my own process, it was like we set up a separate altar from our, our ancestor. Altar right, exactly. And just to that person. And yes. while that went on and we did, we did in the nine days and then it, moving the picture yes. from that altar to the ancestor altar is is very powerful very powerful yes it is yeah and I also find that doing things that make sense to you my uh I have a family member who um would go with her with her sisters will go to the uh, they lost a sister young so mm-hmm. the the whole there's a lot of sisters I can't remember how many now but they go yeah. to the cemetery with a cake and they sing, and they cut the cake, and they have the whole thing at the at the gravesite. And uh, it, it came up, funnily enough, because uh, her pictures were recycling on her lap, her computer screen. Yeah. And her daughter said, "Why is there a cake at the cemetery?" Yeah. <laughs> and she said, oh well, that's because we do this. And she said, "You do." And it's yeah. like how they don't talk about it. But and mm-hmm. I was like, I love that tradition. So that's what I do with my family. I that's good. Bring some cake and we hang out. You know? <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, the Scorpio ministry does a couple of different ancestor work and workings. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, we've already touched on the temporary kind of altar mm-hmm. to work with um, people who have recently passed over and and working with a family ancestor altar um, for, um, you know, working with them and uh, and seeing if, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with that. You can heal the ancestral line of things sometimes mm-hmm. you can get good advice or you can you know just be there to remember them you know you yeah. could, how how deeply you want to go in is up to the individual and and what people are ready for yeah um i also uh we also do work um that started with um woman who runs robin's nest and found the cemetery in salem new hampshire nearby where we've been working with some land spirits and uh continuing that work and uh that work bridges, um, for me, uh, my own personal land spirit work. Because mm-hmm. once the ancestors are in the land, and once I've found, and I hear there's collaborating um, books about this that I haven't read, but I, my personal experience was once the people that knew these people have died, the spirit energy shifts. Because mm-hmm. it's no longer people in flesh remember them, but yeah. then they actually become more of the land entity. Hmm. So it's an interesting shift, and yeah. um, I've been experiencing that a bit with the Salem um, place, and uh, so that that kind of bridges that because the ancestors are under us, and they are they mm-hmm. are the land on which we stand. Yeah, 
you know. And um, let's see what other work can I talk about. Maybe um, some of the ancestor, the temple's ancestor stuff. Yes, and right, because there's many different kinds of ancestors. So there's ancestors of blood, as, mm-hmm. as we know from from The Mighty Dead, um, a yeah. book that Christopher wrote, and it's a great typology uh, to help us, guide us through this. So there's uh, our ancestors who are looking at us while we talk to y'all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, hello! <laughs> <laughs> Including um, the ancestors of knowledge. You know, I've, I've lost Christopher's terms, of course. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the ones who our lineage, our lineage comes from, like, you know, and, and Christopher's mother, who is the mother of the temple for us. And, uh, and um, Margot Adler, who we were talking about before, we actually got online here. Um, yeah. So the kind of people we learned from, mm-hmm. and uh, then the people who nurtured us, who aren't necessarily blood relatives. Yeah. You know, and uh, ancestors of vocation. So there are different kinds of ancestors to honor in our work. You know, as I move forward as a, a psychotherapist, I... Uh, keep saying I have to get to Switzerland because I want some of Jung's grave dirt. You know? yeah. <laughs> he is just so important to me. Um, but, you know, he also he also came to me, you know, Carl Jung actually one time came to me and said, I'll work with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, you will. <laughs> I was just so startled. But So I don't necessarily need his grave dirt. But, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, but to tap into those lines of, uh, of knowledge of our prior, the people who had been here prior to us. Yeah. Helping us in all kinds of ways. So it isn't, I guess the big piece for a lot of people to realize it isn't just those who were our blood, who are our ancestors. Yeah. Um, one of the things that your ministry has done in the past is the um, ancestor letters. Yes, yes. And um, can you speak about that? I can. Um, and it, it, was a, it was something that I think you said to me once, what about mm. this idea? And uh, then I read this book called uh, Letters to the Dead, which was a fictional book, but it talked about this uh, young girl going through a mourning process by writing letters to, actually not even the person who died, I think she was writing to famous people. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but what I find with the, the process in my own work with it um, is um, when there's like, often when there's unfinished business, it's really helpful. That's like the most powerful, but it doesn't have to be that. But yeah. um, I found that um, the people who did the work would come to me and say, that was so amazing because I did this letter and that opened up a conversation in my family, you know, and yeah. just this work. So um, the letters, the process that I came up for the letters, because I thought, well, if it's a charged issue, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to write that to your ancestor, like the, the raw emotion. So I set up a, a moon cycle process mm-hmm. of writing um, out what the issue is and exploring it and what, what the feelings are and getting to the point of understanding, okay, I've healed this part by just writing in my journal. Mm-hmm. And then what do I want to say to the ancestor that I'm having this conversation with? Mm-hmm. And then doing that, usually at the full moon, I think, just finishing up that. I think that's the process. Because it could, it could go either way. You could also want to release it at the dark moon. just depends on how, how you want to process the emotion if you're building the resolution or if you're getting rid of the uh, blockage yeah um and then burning the letter to send it to them yeah so that they receive the energy of the letter and uh i found uh some incredible changes in me when i did it myself you know yeah. so and i i that pro- that ritual is available i'm happy to mail it out to people awesome you know? 
Maybe you could make it into a post at some point. Yes, yes. That would be great. There's a number of posts I've been wanting to do. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, what do you think about mediumship, and what is its role in the grieving process? Mediumship. I um. It's interesting because I think there's different kinds of mediumship. I I uh, worked in a place with people who are in this evidential kind of mediumship. Um, school, there's a school in England that teaches this kind of method, you know, mm-hmm. like the John Hollands and those mm-hmm. kind of people. And um, I, I would be with people who were students of, of his and others, and I'd say, well, I'm not a medium. And it's like, you go to the, you go do a crossing over vision where you talk to people who, are, who have died. You, you're a medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you bring messages back. You're a medium. I said, okay. So um, had to get to the point where I understood I was a bit of a medium myself. Um, yeah. I think um, I think that mediumship, if you're doing it for someone else, is just a wonderful gift to help them gain whatever they may need to get so they can actually hear their ancestors. So I think it's, it's an important piece. And sometimes when we're grieving and uh, we just can't hear, it's helpful to have the person bridge that and um, get the closure. And I actually um, did go um, to a medium... Um, I, I uh, had a reading once, and uh, it was really important for a process I was going through because there were, there was a sudden death, and I wasn't mm. ready, and yeah. I I really blame myself for not doing X or Y, and yeah. I couldn't get by that by myself. Mm-hmm. So having that person say, okay, this is what I get about this person, I was like, yeah, that's 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 the person, and they mm-hmm. would say, yeah, this is what happened. It was time, you. You know, you're you did what there's a lot of love for you, you know, just mm-hmm. all the things. And you can say, Oh, yeah, they could say that about anybody, but I knew they had the the person, and it just really shifted the experience for me so I could forgive myself, yeah. And then I was able to talk to the person directly, yeah, without worrying, without sitting there going, I still feel terrible. It's like that would get in our way, yeah, for our own, you know, spiritual, relation, spiritual relationships. So, yeah. um, so I think that, um, it, it I think it's an important piece. You know, and I, I think it's also important to make sure you you find someone that is really doing it. You know, there are a lot of people out there doing it now who may or may not be, you know, legitimate. You know. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because David Kessler again, um, he used to find um, in his books he'd find um, in the bookstore cards for local mediums would throw their cards into his books in the bookstore. So when people opened it, they had a yeah, and that made him very angry. But then he met actually John Holland, who yeah. I really respect. He, John Holland's the one who did the big reading for me. I was in a big room, but mm-hmm. and um, and uh, he said, "Oh, this guy is actually doing it legitimately." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so he actually did a whole big workshop with John on grief and working with a medium. Oh, that's so awesome. So I thought that was really neat. And um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's important to. Just check on who's doing it for you. Yeah. 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 Uh, So, I know you do, you've talked a little bit about it, uh, your own special crossing over work with the dead. Uh, What is that like, and tell us about it. Okay. Um, So, before I started studying with Christopher in the temple, I worked with um, uh, the interconvocation tradition, which is through R.J. Stewart and Josephine. McCarthy at the time, mm-hmm. and um, I was initiated into the death vision in 2000 through that tradition, 
And um, that tradition's um, overarching theme is a theme of unconditional mediation of energy. You know, you're not going in with a specific goal. You're trying to bring through what is most needful for the highest good mm-hmm. from, from the inner temples. Yeah. So um, we would go, uh, we were, the, the vision is based actually, um, par- at least partially, and I think many death visions are partially based on the vision of air from uh, Plato's Republic. And that's where the section where uh, one soldier um, returns from the dead. He's he's forced to come back and remember the vision so that he can tell humans what it was. Mm. And it involves you know there's a landscape of a desert, there's a landscape of mountains, there's a river, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a bridge, you know. So and many many different traditions have these visions of yeah. this kind of thing. Um, and uh, for me, I um, when I started doing the the vision work, I immediately started with some family members who needed to be crossed over. And um, my personal uh, kind of agreement in this life, because of many lives where I'd been a murder victim mm-hmm. and I'd been a murderer, mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of work with murder victims and murderers, you know, who just came to me in vision, you know, yeah. or dreams. <laughs> yeah. Like, why am I dreaming about hiding a body? Oh, it must be someone who needs... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wake up from those dreams like... Mm-hmm. What was that? And then you, yeah. oh, that's what it was. Um, and I, I do a lot of that. Um, I try not to watch Dateline because I'm always going to have to cross over whoever the victim is. Yeah, on yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And I, all my jury duties, I've been lucky that I haven't had a murder trial. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, the dead's talking to me. I already know you did it. I really can't. Be yeah, in yeah. This trial. But um, so a lot of my work initially was that kind of work and 9-11 mm-hmm. happened soon after and there was a lot of work with that and I actually um was one of the presences to help um the hijackers cross over because yeah. there needed to be a just unconditional American yeah saying yeah you know this is this was some kind of soul thing soul contract thing yeah I'm really upset but I'm here on unconditionally yeah to provide that energy so um, that's my initial work with that. And since um, working with the bereavement, I, I, um, I've actually gone and said, you know, people say, will you please check on my loved one? And it's like, I can do that. And, you know, the, the idea of the vision work for the death, initial, death work initially was you go in and you only, you're only called in when you're needed. Mm-hmm. And most people don't need you. Yeah. They know where they're going. They, yeah. Their ancestors are meeting them. They're... Yeah. they're their deities or whoever, you know, their co-walkers are helping them. But um, when when I'm asked, it's usually because I, I, I'm needed to help and I can provide some closure for someone who isn't ready to fully connect, you know, again, with the mediumship idea. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I get information and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that's that's really how it is. I, um, I, try to, I try to just go in, you know, pretty regularly so that if someone needs me I'm there and yeah. I provide the service as well as sometimes it being contracted if you will yeah <laughs> you check on so-and-so yeah know? yeah um I in my own process of doing something like it mm-hmm. uh usually it's through dream work yeah um but well, you can hear them yeah when you're dreaming <laughs> when uh I I have I, I guess I put it as uh, I'm sometimes the sin eater. So like oh, they tell yeah. me, you know, whatever their story is, yes. 
so that they can release that and yeah. and pass on. And so, you know, I have multiple dreams that are kind of out of my wheelhouse. Um, like, you know, giving birth. <laughs> that was that was a fun one. Uh, it's very painful. Yeah, it's very that. painful. Um, yeah, so you know, there's multiple things that you, you know, I wouldn't know. In body. In body. Right. Um, so... But I wake up and I'll either see someone vanishing next yes. to the bed yes. um, or something like that from these like crazy dreams that, you know, you're like, oh, that's odd. That's totally out of my wheelhouse. Like, how did I come up with this? Yeah, where, 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 yeah, where did that come from? Oh, not me. Right. <laughs> and knowing when it's not us is a big piece. Yeah. Know? And the sin eater thing is interesting because once I started doing counseling, I found that some of the work I did at the bridge changed and I was like, oh, I'm counseling at the bridge too. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's a particular skill to you. Yeah. And the sin eater part kind of fits with that because I know where that energy can go to be transformed as well. You know, send it into the healing void and, Mm -hmm. you know, then it can shift and recycle back into the energy of the world. Awesome. Now, uh, your mystery doesn't just cover death. (laughs) It also, and dying, it also covers the spirituality of sex. Yes. So what does that programming look like? Well, I, um, my deputy is Ren, and he does that work. And um, he, I, I, um, I wanted to make sure I presented it well, so I asked him about it. So he's given me some things to say about that. Um, a, a lot of what the foundational work is that he's bringing through is around boundaries and understanding where we end and others begin because that's a very important piece of sacred sexuality and sexuality in general mm-hmm. you know? yes and um and also being able to explain to others what your boundaries are mm-hmm. so that you're in safe situations you're doing what you want to be doing yeah. they understand what it is they understand that they actually want to be doing that too mm-hmm. that kind of thing um so uh, getting to explore your own personal intimacy sexuality gender concepts yeah. Lifestyles, rela- relationship styles, being sex positive. He's actually um, talking about death cafes. He's looking at doing sex cafes. Because hmm. talking about sex should just be like easy. Just like talking about death should just be like easy. So yeah. uh, I'm very excited that he's bringing that over. Um, sexual communication and what this means for people and how to navigate this, these concepts in their lives. Additionally, um, the, we're going to introduce sacred sexuality rituals and the application of those rituals. Uh, other subjects include the ordeal path and sacred kink. And uh, then, of course, we also cover the basics. So some exciting news out of the sacred sexuality is that um, the sacred sexuality program will later this year be both online and in person. So, and he says, if you want more information about that, you contact Ren at tempoofrichcraft.org. <laughs> yes, yeah, Ren has got many hats. We've had him on right. this I, before. I mean, but just he, search he did, the podcast for Ren and you'll hear all the things Ren does. Yes. Um, <laughs> or at least some of the things. Some of the things that Ren does. <laughs> we can't get um, them all. <laughs> yeah, because we had him for the Aries ministry yes, yes. Uh, just last year. He does the martial arts and uh, all that warrior work. Yeah. So, uh, what is uh, coming up for the Scorpio ministry? What are you guys doing? What soon? are we doing? We're we um, I am uh, 
so all this work that I talked about, like being able to talk about the legal aspects and being able to um, understand um, advanced directives. I didn't call it the prime directive for a change. But <laughs> 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 it's like Star Trek fans will know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> but um, understanding advanced directives and how to sort out what you want mm-hmm. and um, that process and then what, what to do with uh, the actual death and dying and, mm-hmm. and you know... Um, last rites rituals and things like that. I'm, I'm coming up with a multi-part class um, for ministers interested in doing this work to impart what I think is important to understand, you know, when you're sitting with someone who's dying, if they say something, to be able to say, oh, I've heard that there's something like this yeah. that you might want to check out, you know, or I can give you a referral. Mm-hmm. Just so that um, we can help guide people through the process. And just be comfortable with that. And part of that is also for each of us to look at our own mortality. Yeah. You know, to to um, identify with the God. You know, each year we follow the God into death. And it's like, okay, well, let's let's follow him. Let's yeah. talk to him about, well, what is it like, yeah. you know, to have this mortality? And, um, what, and what do we want to mar- leave as our mark in the world is also something that comes from that. Yeah. And... Um, so I'm looking at doing that, and Rand, of course, is doing the sacred sexuality work, this uh, online work, mm-hmm. and um, and that's a lot. Of it. And the death cafes have been really—they've been just really moving. So we're doing multiple ones of those, cool. and uh, continuing to do um, some classes on bereavement and rituals to help with bereavement. So those are those are the pieces that are in in play right now. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, and thank you, listeners, for listening. Thank you all. You've been listening to Voices of the Temple. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2010 of the Temple of Witchcraft. For more information, please visit templeofwitchcraft.org.